way back in uh, August by the north coast as I looked through the, the book of Hosea and tried to shape what was going to happen over the course of the months ahead, something had me stop in, in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 1. Uh, you'll find that most of where we go with the rest of this book we do in chapters, but there was something about chapter 4 and verse 1 that grabbed my attention. And I have to say that when I started on Monday or Tuesday morning, we glanced at it on Monday, but I was off. Um, on Tuesday, as I started to think about what's going to happen over the course of this week in preparing a sermon, that I suddenly was going, why did verse 1 reach me in that kind of way? Well, I discovered as the week went on just how much I think there might be in this particular verse. But let me first of all uh, put it in the context, because if you remember back a few weeks to when I pranced across uh, the stage here and uh, didn't preach the sermon, but Hosea was sort of come alive in that monologue. Chapter 3 is very much about Gomer, this faithless wife, being bought back. We look very much at the very heart of the gospel. Uh, That came through from the the children's talk, if you remember, where we had the boat that was lost and had to be bought back to Gomer having to be bought back and how Christ has bought us back by coming and living and dying for us and being raised to life. I guess what Chris was talking about again today as our saviour. So we got at the end of chapter 3, we have Gomer bought back. We have grace in all its fullness right there. And it seems in many ways that the end of chapter 3 is almost a happy ending. And then you move into chapter 4. And it's almost that God has come in the guise of a Philip Mateer or a QC or a Lord or a judge. And he's, he's in the courtroom around us and he's not dispensing with justice. We're intrigued. Um, but he's come to say, this is what I have against you. What has God got against his people? Well, it seems that the main things, and we'll come to them in a second, that God has against his people are that there's no faithfulness, no love, and no acknowledgement of God in the land. This is the great deal that God has. This is what he's accusing the people of. There's no faithfulness. There's no love. There's no acknowledgement of God in the land. And if you want to read into verses 2 and 3, and uh, Jonathan will take the rest of this chapter uh, for us um, next week, we find that because these things aren't in place, that there's cursing, there's lying, there's murder, there's stealing, there's adultery, it's basically anarchy on the streets because these things are not in place. And so this week as I watch as I bring the word of God and wrestle over the word of God over days and as I watch the news and listen to the radio and as I read the newspapers and I try to think, is the word of God saying anything into the culture that we live in at this point? I found three situations over the course of this week that uh, raised awareness to what's going on in these verses in a contemporary setting. You might have seen how A little girl in China was knocked down by a van that drove over her twice and left her for dead and that people walked around her for a lengthy time before anybody came to her rescue. And the country of China and the world are asking, how can a child be left to die and people literally walk around them? And I go back to my time in China, brief and all as it was, but I remember sitting one afternoon 
looking up at our guide who was a female and wondering what she was pondering as we were at one of these other sites because I knew that in her life she was a female so she was really not that important. Many who will try to get rid of a female child because if you're only allowed one child and it's not a male child then what have you got really is the way that the Chinese culture sees life. If we move into a secularized place where there's no knowledge of God, where we don't understand human beings connected with God the way we looked at last week in our sermon, then you can leave someone to die because within your culture, the values have been lost that would suggest you would respond. Or I listen to the late show. I always feel I'm in a Venn diagram. I'm not very mathematical, so I'll not look too much at the mathematicians to my left. But um, I always know that the Venn diagram seems to be, I'm sort of British here and I'm Irish here, and there's somewhere in the middle that I'm both, and that's me stuck right in there. And so I watched the Late Show to see what's happening in that part of the Venn diagram. And uh, it was amazing on Friday night, because on Friday night they were talking to people where the recession had hit in such a way that they were out of their homes paying their mortgages but living in hotel rooms because basically the republic's in a financial state of chassis. And they were asking about bankers and how bankers went about doing things and who was to blame for the state that we're in today. And we find again that a lack of faithfulness and love and a lack of knowledge of God and going for materialism and taking risks to be comfortable or the bottom line being profit causes us to be in a bit of a state. Then I was in conversation as we looked at some of our neighborhood outreach and what the difference would be in this area around about us here if you took alcohol out of the equation. It would be a completely different place. There would be less problems. And I remember last year how I couldn't believe that people in this community went to the vice chancellor's office at Queen's to ask him if he couldn't sort out the alcohol problems in the Holy Land. And I'm thinking, surely we've got to go back 25 steps. Maybe even to, and I say it gently, but maybe even to where my children, or one of them this week, went to a primary school party in a rugby club with the bar there as the P6s and 7s played there. What's the message going out to our children? Is there a message in our culture that's going out that we reap the whirlwind of later on because the values of God seen here as faithfulness and love and a knowledge of God are absent within our community and we reap we reap the problems. The last one was simply um, hearing that road rage in England has got to the point where they're getting, where drivers of hearses are being victims of road rage. And people were going, this is a shocking thing. Is there no respect in our country anymore? And you ask yourself, if God was speaking to the British nation or the Irish nation, in 2011, what would he in the court be saying to us? How would he be accusing the nation? Would he be saying, I don't see faithfulness and love, and I see no knowledge of God whatever within the nation? About a year ago or so, I tried to grasp and wrestle with some of these things, and 
And I wrote this, see if it makes any sense to you. It's St. Patrick's Day in the Holy Land. Students falling and crawling out of bars, urinating in people's doorways and playing hurley on the top of their cars. Is this the evolution of the species? Have the fittest ones ended up here? Marinating in their own selfish preserves and a culture of alcopops and beer. Christmas Day in the evening, she brings a blade to her wrist to see the blood that baby bled and find some kind of feeling in this. It's the end of the nuclear family. We've broken it into a million pieces like the children caught up in its convenience as their anorexia and suicide increases. A shopping mall on Easter Sunday, another madman murder rampage, people enjoying a holy day off are the carnage of tomorrow's front page. And the killer gets a tribute on Facebook. That's the internet's anarchic nerve. The expert on the late night news show says we get the heroes we deserve. And some still speak of faith in God, but we say that we couldn't care less. We've long discarded those old-fashioned notions, but still seem to want godliness. But still seem to want godliness. So when these things happen, we want godliness. But we don't want God to be in the equation until they happen, and we want godliness. Would this nation be accused by God today of being a nation that has no knowledge of God? That's the charge. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. I just googled a few different translations as I like to do when I'm preparing to see how faithfulness and love and uh, this knowledge of God uh, is uh, translated elsewhere. The King James says there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. The American Standard Version that we always took as the way to get through your exams in college. Don't listen to me, um, Jonathan. Um, that's the way we get through it. Because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. And in the message, uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. God indicts the whole population. No one is faithful. No one loves. No one knows the first thing about God. If we look at, and again I'm in the midst of those who know this, I just picked it up from Derek Kidner's uh, commentary. If we look at the two words here for faithfulness and love, we find that the Hebrew word um, for faithfulness um, is met, which means honesty or reliability. And as I looked and I delved with the commentators, the only thing I could get out of this word of faithfulness, this honesty and this reliability, would be kind of to think of it as that honest footballer. You know, well, there used to be such things. Um, there probably still are playing um, uh, down somewhere at the Ozone on a Saturday, but they're not just as easily to be seen in match of the day. But that honest footballer that gives of his all, he might not be the genius. He might not be the one getting paid 250000 a week who doesn't have to get off the bench to warm up. But no, he's the one who just says, whoever I'm playing for, my manager's going to get me and all of me, and I'm going to be reliable, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to give my all, not for my own ends, but for the good of the rest of the team and for the good of the people around me. It's that kind of thing. It's that kind of faithfulness that God's looking for in his people, as well as in the nation, because those are linked, obviously, in this passage in Hosea, but we will maybe break them up a minute and look more specifically at us in a moment or two. The other word for love is a word called hesed, which seems to be love and loyalty that's expected of the partners in covenant. The love and loyalty 
loyalty, a love that's loyal, in the partners of covenant. Covenants which we break all the time now. Covenants which we don't take as seriously as we used to. Whether that covenant is in a baptism, whether that covenant is in a marriage at the front of the church, whether that covenant is when the congregation and the minister take vows in that installation service, whatever those covenants are that we have made between each other and God, what God is looking for is a love that is loyal, a loyalty that is there no matter what. So the honest player who gives who is no prima donna but just gives of themselves in a loyal way that's expected in covenant. Knowledge of God. Well, what is knowledge of God? I had to unpack that a little bit. So I tried to trace through the scriptures where we might find some insights into what this is. No knowledge of God in the land, God uh, says through Hosea here. Well, what is knowledge of God? Proverbs tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's maybe a bit like that honest player. You can see it coming out already. And that the knowledge of God will lead to a faithfulness. Will lead to an honesty. Will lead to a reliability and a loyalty. It's saying here that the fools, they despise wisdom and instruction. They don't really need other people to tell them how to live. Because they know how to live themselves. They don't need others around them. But fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And when I looked at this fear, I remember um, being involved in a mission in uh, Jordanstown University back in the early 90s. And um, I was sitting and after one of the, the meetings that I was speaking at and during this mission and somebody came up to me and, and uh, there, was a, there was a couple of girls who were, they were going for the, they were trying to provoke the Christian speaker at this. And one of them said she was a devil worshiper and I wasn't as convinced about that as she was. Um, but the other was, sort of trying to listen in and then one of them I don't know which one said to me well are you frightened of God and I said well it depends how you see that it depends how you see that because if you're talking about a caring fear a caring kind of um, scared of then no because Jesus has died for me and grace has come into my life and I don't fear that at all But if you're asking about a respectful awe, then yes, that's how I fear God. Not incurring shame because Jesus has dealt with her shame, but with a respectful awe. Who is this God? This God that we're in covenant with at some level. This God who we as a people in Fitzroy say we are intrinsically linked with. Have we a respectful awe of that God? Or is it a kind of a take it or leave it, he's always there kind of God? What Hosea is telling us God is looking for is a knowledge that starts with the fear of God. But then if we want to come into the the New Testament in John chapter 8 and 31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It seems that when Jesus was trying to teach people how you might know him, That the way we might know him is to abide in his word, to be around him, to listen to him, to spend time watching him. Jeremiah 22 and 16, he defended the cause of the poor and the needy and all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? The disciples did what Jesus did. 
they listened to what Jesus taught them and they tried to put it into practice, sometimes very feelingly when they were cutting ears off people's uh, heads and different things like that. But the discipleship process was so that you wouldn't just know about Jesus, but that you would know Jesus. And that knowing of Jesus is actually doing the things that Jesus does. And in doing the things that Jesus does, you get to know him better. It seems to me and those people that we're most intimate with, we are, we're best friends with, that we know most and that have influenced us, are people who we don't just know about, but we've engaged with them, we've partnered with them, we've watched them, we've done things alongside them. Maria Elena's just talked about her uncle. An uncle whose faith, and who was a doctor and could have went and done whatever he wanted in his life, but decided that he wanted to do the God thing. He wanted to come back and look after the poor and the needy. Maria Elena, and just being around him, getting to know him by watching him, by listening to him, by doing the things that he did, years later in the front of our church, blesses us by the fact that she got to know that uncle. That's the same kind of ways that we need to get to know this God. Walking with him, listening to him, saturating our life in the things that he would do and doing those things that he did. And so Jonathan read from us from Galatians 5, which came into my mind as I was thinking about faithfulness and love. I was thinking these are the fruit of the Spirit. So in John, we've got abiding in God's word and following Jesus. We have Jeremiah, even in the Old Testament, telling us it's about doing the things that God does. And here we have the Holy Spirit as the one who fills us with these things, who indwells us. I can't help but go back to Fiona's image of being filled up in that psalm that we sang to the children, created in a new heart and filled up by the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, we read earlier, have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And right there are all those things that God expects of his people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they must not be things that we know about. It must not be a verse that we can rhyme off. It must be the way We live our lives. This is a knowledge of God that dwells within us. This is a knowledge that we get from psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and the reading of the scriptures on a Sunday morning and the prayers we pray on a Sunday morning and hopefully out of the sermon and on faith and trial tonight and on soul space on another Sunday night and all the different things that we do on Sundays and then in our midweeks are things that can lead us into this knowledge of God that makes us into faithful, loving, honest, loyal people. Honest and loyal and loving and faithful to God. And then to one another. And then to the community around us. All of them intrinsically linked with what God is asking of us. And I suppose to finish, and we don't have a lot of time so I'll cut it a little bit, I couldn't help then go to a C.S. Lewis quote. Because if you remember we started by going back to that verse or those verses in chapter 3 where it's a happy ending. We're loved by God's grace. It's a 
I call it the caress of chapter 3, where we're bought back, where Jesus has bought us back, and we're now children of God by faith, so that not by works, so that no one can boast. There's, there's a caress in that. God's arms around us as we sense the love of God as we are. But then there's a collision that comes. Because C.S. Lewis puts it well, he says, God is easy to please but hard to satisfy. And what Lewis meant by that was, we, don't, we can't please him. Jesus has pleased him for us. And we come in by the grace of Jesus. But once we come into this relationship, once we come into this covenant, God is expecting many things from us. It's why when I'm out somewhere in society and I hear gossip or rumor or destructive comments or all those kinds of things, I can't expect it. But when I come into a family that's soaked in the spirit and following Jesus and abiding in the word of God, then I really don't expect it, nor does God, because he has done something and continues to do something that allows us to reach far beyond who we were at the point of entry into this faith, but wants us to grow and be nourished and become holy as we go. So if we had these things, would children lie in the street uncared for? I doubt it. How would we deal with the recession? How are we dealing with the recession? And what lessons will we learn from the chasing after the material comfort that has caused it? And how do we handle our alcohol? No, not as those who would say the Bible's teetotal because thankfully we know now that it isn't. But, but, self-control. Self-control. Don't run after alcohol. There are many of the dangers of alcohol right there in the scriptures that we've got to watch out for. And what about our own road rage? I know when I've rested last week of August on the Lisburn Road, I'm letting everybody out in front of me. Come on out. Come the middle of March and could do with a holiday and things are a bit stressful in church and you're just a bit weary and you're trying to get to that meeting and you've left it too late. And Why does everybody else not know my agenda why do they not know how fast I have to go why is the car comes too slow when if they would come a bit quicker I would get out or come too fast because if they came a bit slower I would get out why is everybody else not with me well if we have the knowledge of God and we begin to allow this Holy Spirit to really deal with us in our lives we will find that in our society we might be examples of an alternative, radical way to live. Honest players, loyal in our love. So let's quickly do an October morning audit. In our core relationships, in our core relationships, family and home, close friends, in our Fitzroy relationships, in our relationships with our places of work, places of living, places of leisure, in our society, wherever we're connected. How honest, reliable, loving and loyal are the people of God? Because our knowledge of God will be revealed in those actions. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for chapter 3. And we thank you that we're bought back, that if we reach out in faith, 
that by your grace we can know in the depths of our lives your love, your acceptance, that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. We thank you for the caress of your love. But this morning, Lord, we're hit with a collision into our lives of what you're making us into by us following Jesus, by us immersing ourselves in what he was and what he did and who he is, by abiding in your word, by allowing the spirit to bring these fruit to bear within our lives. Lord, help us to do an audit. Help us to go home and to think and to ask, are we the honest player who can be relied on in the team? Are we giving of ourselves to the team selflessly? And are we loyal in the loving relationships that we have covenantly with each other, with you? Lord, help us to see where our knowledge of God is. And help us to be aware that this is not a a flimsy relationship with you. But this is a relationship that is the foundation of all that we say and all that we do and all our ambitions and all that we will achieve. Lord, help us to audit by your spirit in the depths of our souls. In Christ's name, amen.